0: Want to just take a couple of minutes, and we're going to. uh, I'm going to to give you a a quick overview. I never get big vehicles when I travel. Big vehicles to me, they're expensive and they take a lot of gas. I was upcharged. You rent a lot of cars. I was upcharged. I was, you know, I I, why not? I'll get a big car. I had six my our entire family in a car, and I never get insurance. I decided I'm going to get full coverage. Got to also schlep my mom and my, uh, my brother. And that's what happened to it. All right? People complain about my driving all the time. I'm actually a really darn good driver. On a rural road in Oregon, a guy saw the sun in his eyes. He was driving a Honda Tundra, some big, you know, three-quarter ton Honda truck. And uh, without knowing what he was doing, veered into our lane, literally fully into our lane, smashed us right just past the front quarter panel. By the way, the road is this way. Where that guy is standing is the front of the car. So the car was spun and flipped. Landed on its roof, ceiling came in, and uh, yet nobody was seriously injured. We thank God for that. In Jewish tradition, there's actually a blessing that is recited, which I'm going to recite. Uh, it is, I need my glasses. Someone, I've got to always remember to have a pair of glasses. Blessed are you, O Lord, O God, King of the Universe, who bestows good things upon the guilty. I wasn't guilty, all right, but really the the whole understanding here is is that we're unworthy. God watches over us, unworthy creatures, because we are sinful, who has bestowed every goodness upon me. God watched over us. The the paramedics, the ambulance people, they were shocked that nobody wasn't dead. You know, we had my father and his friend, an 80-year-old, and his ancient friend, and uh, and we all were able to crawl out of that. All right? Now, moving right along, <laughs> we're continuing the last of our proclamation messages. Just curious. It'd be great to do a testimony, but I'm not going to do it. So if I sound a little, a little direct today, it's because there's reasons for it. But I'd be curious for you to at least think in your mind, who have you intentionally proclaimed to in the last three weeks that we've been doing this? Have you proclaimed to anybody? If you haven't proclaimed to anybody, have you listened to anything I've said? The one thing I've really come to understand is that <clears throat> religion's an interesting thing. You know, my, uh, my father's side, very, very well-to-do people and very secular people. Religion to them is stupid. Stupid. Most of us who proclaim to be believers, though, we act like it's stupid, too. Because it's good in the building, but it doesn't really follow us in our lives. doesn't leach from us into those around us. And yet, isn't that what it's all about? What God has done for me, I proclaim to all. What I want to proclaim to you today is what I learned when I saw that guy's headlights in my eyes. How beautiful in the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Good news doesn't always feel good. You've got spinach in your teeth. Remove the spinach. We're embarrassed. It's good news, though. Otherwise you can walk around and everybody thinks you're a... You've got problems because you've got spinach hanging out of your teeth. How beautiful in the mountains are the feet of him who brings Good news. Who announces shalom, and we talked about that. Who announces wholeness. Who brings good news of happiness, contentedness, subtleness. Who announces Yeshua, salvation. Not just forgiveness of sin, which is the most important thing in the world, but, but really the mending of life. This last one, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Talking to my uncle Bob. My uncle Bob <coughs> is Russian aristocracy. His, we were talking about it. His grandparents owned, uh, his grandfather's family owned gold mines and diamond mines in Siberia. His grandmother's side owned the entire peninsula of Vladivostok. They were Jews. <laughs> this is my aunt Barbara's husband. Okay, wealthy people. And then, of course, the Russians had a revolution and they lost everything. Ended up in Shanghai. There in Shanghai, his father used to sell boats to Imperial China. They actually had money in Shanghai, even though they were exiles, really, from Russia. And then, darn, Second World War. And they had to run to San Francisco. They settled in San Francisco. My uncle says he met my aunt. And they fell in love in high school. They decided to get married. And so my, my grandparents disowned my aunt for marrying him. Not because he wasn't a Jew. It's because he was poor. But he was the son of aristocracy. She just, uh, My aunt just died like three or four weeks ago. Uh, 63 years of marriage. He said it was incredibly successful, their life. But then I asked about my aunt, and he said all of these things about my aunt and her life and all that she'd accomplished. And then he concluded, and he said, but it means nothing. It's because she's dead. And he said it like that. See, he doesn't believe in God. Doesn't believe in God. My aunt didn't believe in God. She thought I was a failure. (laughs) Said my uncle. But we're supposed to believe that our God reigns, right? Do we really believe it? Do we live like that? Is it in our heads? But not in that active part of our head that directs how we live? I dare say that mostly we live too often like God is not reigning now. You know, the whole idea of, of the biblical text is that all this screwed up world is going to ultimately come to a point where Messiah Yeshua is going to return and reign on earth, and really reign. we're going to talk about is proclaiming God's reign, and what does it mean to reign, and just because this started as a camp talk, we're going to see a video. Now come the days of the king. does not belong to one man, but to all. Let us together rebuild this world, that we may share in the days of peace. know elvish you know exactly what he was singing now uh of course it's a great movie tolkien got it all from the bible (laughs) well anyway the major themes uh and in fact if you paid close attention to the verbiage dialogue uh you'll understand that some of that is like wow very heavily biblical just in a different context when we think about reigning to be in charge that's what it is to be in charge. Uh, when uh, David Ben-Gurion went and saw, I think it was Truman or Eisenhower, I can't remember which one, and uh, he was saying, you know, I'm a president of, of uh, 150 million Americans. And uh, Ben-Gurion said, I'm a president of 600,000 presidents. <laughs> the problem in the Jewish community is we don't like to submit to authority. I think in the believing community, that's a big problem today, too. It's like it's almost impossible to really disciple anybody because everybody's an anarchist at heart. Everybody wants to do their own thing. To be reigning is to be in charge. To rule as a king or a queen, that's kind of how we generally think about it. What is God's reign? God's reign is God's literal rule over a restored earth. Through the reign of our Messiah Yeshua's righteous kingdom. This is a very physical reign in our world. Right now is God reigning. Behold, our God reigns, is the verse. Does God reign today? You better believe He reigns today. Question is are you bowing before Him? Did you notice the king going down and seeing people? If you watch the movies, you know that some of those people, at least one of them, was a bit of a pain to the guy. Did you see him bow his head? Do you bow your head before God? Are you humble before God? You ever gotten your face before God? God reigns. He reigns. He reigns high and lifted up and exalted, as we say in our liturgy. But that's just to help us understand that his reign is beyond our comprehension at this time. But all of Scripture points toward the fact that eventually God's reign will be very physical. There will be a reign on this restored earth. So God promises the Messiah Yeshua will reign as king over Israel and the world. God will come as Melech Mashiach, King Messiah. He will reign out of Jerusalem. That will occur. Too many people have this Christian concept, and actually, just so you know, the Christian concept of heaven and everything's going to be spiritual and in heaven, that, is, that comes out of supersessionism. That comes out of a Christian rejection of Jewish roots. Judaism, and I'm going to use that term Judaism because it's the best way to understand it, all Jewish thought, religious theological thought pertaining to the world to come is a physical heaven in essence physical. All right? A a restored earth, an earthly kingdom. When you die and when I die, when that time comes, you've accepted that Yeshua has provided the atonement for your sins, your body will be buried or will decay one way or the other. But when Yeshua returns, your body will be resurrected physically talks about people coming back with Messiah. So it's not an eschatology lesson here this morning, in particulars, but to realize the physicality of your eternity. It's not living up in a cloud. It's living on a restored earth. That's why you get to the very end of the book of Revelation, and uh, there's a tree there, with leaves for the healing of the nations. Biblical text talks about all kinds of things, but one of the last things it indicates is the preservation of distinct national identities will exist in the restored heaven and earth, the new heaven and earth, however you want to put that. Our theologians argue all they want. It's very physical. That's the point I'm making. And God will reign over that. Now, Scripture, Zechariah 4, 1 through 9, says, Behold, the day of Adonai is coming, When your plunder will be divided in your midst, I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to wage war. The city will be captured. Half of the city will be exiled, but the remainder of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then Adonai will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in a day of battle. In that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which lies to the east of Jerusalem. By the way, when Yeshua... When Yeshua ascended, he ascended from the Mount of Olives. And they said, he's going to come back to the same spot. You'll notice here, Zechariah prophesied, what, six, seven hundred years before, no, five, six hundred years before Yeshua's birth, that the Mount of Olives will be the place. And his feet will touch it and it'll split in two. I'm going to skip the next couple of verses and go to the end. Verse eight Moreover, in that day, living waters will flow from Jerusalem half toward the eastern sea, which today is the Dead Sea. And if you've never been there, you wouldn't know. But if you've been there, it's all desert going out to the Dead Sea. Except for Adomim, which must truck in water. But uh, the waters will flow half toward the Dead Sea and make them living water, and half toward the Mediterranean, and it's all going to be fertile and wonderful. And then verse 9, Adonai, and that is the personal name of God, will then be king over all the earth. In that day, Adonai will be Echad. In his name, Echad. God will reign. God will reign. And it's not going to be a passive reign. It's going to be an active reign. Now, the big point I want to talk about, though, is the whole idea of relationship. Remember we talked about relationship a number of times. All these messages about relationship, really. Being in relationship with God means... You anticipate something. You anticipate his reign. It's spoken about several times in the New Testament. Do you anticipate the return of the Messiah Yeshua? Do you look forward to Yeshua's return? In the New Covenant text, this is really important. You know, even in Jewish thought, Maimonides' principle regarding Messiah. I wait for the Messiah. No matter how long it takes, I believe in the coming of the Messiah, and though we tarry, I will wait for him. Messianic Jews, how many of us last week even thought about the coming of the Messiah? If you don't really think about it, then you're not really anticipating it. And if you're not anticipating it, what's your relationship like? When I'm ticked off at Carla, I do not anticipate her coming home because we had a fight, or I'm mad about something, all right? But if everything's good, I wait for her to come home. Why? Because we're in relationship. We love each other. All right? Do you love God? Do you love God? If you really love God, then you you have a relationship with God. And if you have a relationship with God, then you anticipate his return. All four of these messages that I have been sharing share a common link. The link being relationship. Really, the good news of Isaiah 52, 7 is the fact that God wants to be in relationship with us. The question is whether or not we want to be in relationship with him. People often ask me, is my friend so-and-so, are they in heaven or in a hell? You know? And I ask them, did they want to be in relationship with God on earth? If they really didn't want to be in relationship with God on earth, why wouldn't they, would they want to be in relationship with God in, after death? Do you want to be in relationship with God today? If you're not sure, then, I, then you're not. I would say it's much better to just say, I'm, I'm really not a believer. I really don't get this. In that case, talk to me. If you really say, yeah, I want to know God. I want to know God. I've always wanted to know God. That's what it's all about, knowing God. Knowing meaning relationship. It's wonderful as, as we desire to know God and be in relationship with him, God wants to be in relationship with us. And what will come out of that in terms of this verse is the anticipation of his kingdom. The anticipation of greater relationship with God. These questions that, of course, are on the uh, announcement sheet in the back, I mention them each week. You know, the first question has to do with God creating the world that we live on. It was perfect, and we messed it up. Isn't it amazing that God wants to fix it after we broke it? Yet that's because God loves us and it's part of his relationship building with us. What does God promise to do with our world eventually? You know, again, it's so sad. Talking to my uncle, they have everything you could imagine. Everything you could imagine. Life has no meaning other than pleasure and experience. Maybe for you the new thing is Groupon. Groupon not about eating food, it's about an experience. Why? People are dead. Too many of them are professing followers of Messiah Yeshua who are dead because they need an experience to make them feel alive. I don't need an experience. People have to ask me, what do I do to enjoy myself? Listen, I just want to serve God. That's all I'm interested in. That's it. Okay? I don't need a hobby to bore me. Or to preoccupy or waste my time doesn't mean some of you some I mean I, I mean I think of Todd I mean Todd has got all kinds of crazy things that he does and I'm grateful for all those crazy things because it helps a lot around here because of his unique interests with stuff you know so but what I'm saying is at the core of your life is knowing God at the core is that what it's all about as knowing God or even is religion and ex- Experience, where you come in and you hope to get some feeling. Uh, that's not what this is. Even coming here this morning is an opportunity to recognize God as king. We recite the Elenu because it's all about the sovereignty of God. And we recognize that when we recite the Elenu. Are you here because you recognize that God is God and you just want to worship him? Or to use the phrase, "Are you a narcissist?" and it's all about you feeling good for a moment in this kind of a religious experience. Listen, if that's your interest, there are much better places to go to. I wouldn't come here. <laughs> there are some really great cantors who can really raise the emotion. I mean uh, Mizrahi's over there at, uh, at the Lakeview Shoal. I mean, Shehemet. Uh, go there, right? Isn't he there? He's a darn good cantor. Much better than me. But it's not about the emotional feeling. Do you want to be in relationship with God? That's what it's all about. What are three things that you would want Messiah Yeshua to fix first when he comes to reign over the world? What are the three things? I've got about a couple of dozen I'd like him to focus on. Have you ever thought of one? Have you thought of one? Do you ever get impatient for Messiah Yeshua's return? Do you ever get impatient for Messiah Yeshua's return? I do. You know, sometimes I do. I'll tell you why I do, because I'm so tired of seeing things get, just be screwy, just be bad. Be a little frustrated with the believing community, to be quite honest. It's like everybody, I mean, I want people to do more than they do and to demonstrate greater passion than they do. But I suppose I should be pointing the fingers more at myself, and I understand that. But I want Yeshua to return, because I would like for things to move forward for, for this creation and all that God's got planned. We had a woman who just died, 96 years of age, strong believer, strong, not, not Jewish, but very supportive of, of the Jewish people and of Jewish outreach. <coughs> and she was waiting for yeshua to come back and she finally said enough I'll just die talk about faith she didn't know exactly where she was going she was going to go from this world physical world into the presence of god with the understanding she would return in a resurrected body she could approach death no problem because she knew exactly where she was going why cuz god reigns god reigns God wants us to let the people around us know about him and his good news through our own personal effort as God's proclaimers. Will you tell one person this week about the fact that God reigns? We told all the paramedics. <laughs> they saw it themselves, a couple of them. If It's Oregon, so you're either completely secular or you're Christian, although one of the emergency people was a Jew, which is also interesting. Get a chance to talk to her a little bit. Do you give God any glory in your week? Do you tell anyone about how he reigns or about his salvation or about his goodness in some way? Does the contentment and the wholeness in your own salvation come out from you and, and leech out of you, just pour out of you to connect with the people around you? If it doesn't happen, it's because maybe there's not much of a relationship you actually have with God. It's a challenging message. The truth of the matter is, I almost died, so I might as well get it. One of the things I've really come to, to believe is that too many of us take it all for granted. We take too much for granted. We can't do that anymore. have got to stop it. I think that coming into relationship with God has been cheapened within our believing community. Say a prayer, that's it. Sorry, I had to do an analysis for the board. I've seen dozens and dozens of Jewish people make professions of faith in Yeshua, and I can say that at least half of them made a profession of faith and it didn't matter at all. (laughs) How many times do we forget That God reigns, and he has a tremendous expectation out of us. How about you? He has a tremendous expectation out of you. We have to bow our heads and acknowledge that he indeed is king. So what will you proclaim to others about God's message of good news? What's great about God is he's a benevolent God and king. He cares for us. We are alive today only because, at least we can just say all of us, I mean, my father, my, my brother's not a believer at all. My father, I really wonder where he's at. And my father's friend is definitely not a believer. Why did God save them? Well, hopefully they would get saved. Why did he save me? I don't know. There's still work for me to do. Well, what, do you, what about you? What about you? The good news is God is a great, mighty, benevolent, loving king. And no matter what happens in my life, I give him credit for it all most of the people that we rub shoulders with, they do not know what the purpose of their life really is. It's good news for us just to talk to them about the fact that God is indeed reigning, that God is indeed a loving, awesome God who can bring meaning into our lives, who brings contentment and purpose into our lives. And to proclaim that wonderful truth to them, that they themselves might be believe. Let's close in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word and the challenge of it. We thank you, God, for the fact that you are indeed king. God, forgive us because we really don't get that. Often for us, we treat you like a benevolent, overindulgent grandfather who will give us whatever we want, and we know that that's just false. You give us what is good. You 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 sustain us because you have a purpose for our lives. Help us, God, to humble ourselves before you and just desire to be in relationship with you, that we might fulfill your expectations for our lives. Change us, God. Change us from being who we are to who you want us to be. Help us to be willing to submit all our life to you, even those pieces that people don't see that you see. Help us to change all, that you would be glorified by all that we do. Again, we thank you for the fact that you are God and that we are not. And we rest in you. We pray this in the name of our Messiah, Yeshua, who will indeed reign. Amen.